You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, everybody. That was good. That was good. Really glad you're here today. If you're tuning in with us online, we're welcome. We're glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, maybe for the first time, we're really glad you're here. We've learned that we've had over 50 guests over the last 50 days. I think I'm saying that right. Isn't that fantastic? Let's stop giving God the glory. Yeah. And um, here's the thing. Usually we only know if you're a guest if you tell us. If you have kids in the ministry, you have to tell us because you got to check them in. But you could be somebody who's coming without kids and, or you bring them into this room and we wouldn't necessarily know. So my guess is the number is even higher and God's just on the move. It's been fun. So the purpose of the series, if you are visiting with us, is to talk about where God wants to take us over the next five years. So about six months ago, we brought an organization in called the Unstuck Group. And they surveyed our elders and our staff and we got to see all this really good hard data. Some of it was like, oh, it was kind of painful to hear that. That's fine. A good assessment of where you are. And then we worked for the last, say, three or four months after that to just figure out where God might want to take us. Now, just to be clear, God is in control of this whole thing. So like the book of James says, do not arrogantly say, next year we're going to go do this or that. Instead, say, if God wills. So if God wills, this is what we think God will do. We think this is what God's up to. But he's God. If he wants to bring about some other worldwide pandemic or something crazy next, okay, he has the right to do whatever he wants and we'll just keep following his lead to the best of our ability. But as a church, we know this. We're winning if we do this. Here's our mission, ready? To become more like Jesus. Every day, every week, every month, every year, that's our goal. At the end of the day, if we do that, we're winning. Now, over the next five years, there's four areas we think we can really grow in to bring that about. We've covered two so far. Brett, the first week, did this one. Thrive spiritually, thrive spiritually. And what we said is growing spiritually will be in our DNA. Brett used this great analogy about a tree. You know, when the roots go down, you never see a tree planted by a stream and the roots go down trying to find the water because the water is the source of life that allows it to grow. That's what it's like to thrive spiritually. Last week, I built on that and said, not only do the roots go down deep, but it allows the branches to produce fruit. So we're gonna multiply our impact, both at Kingsway and in the kingdom, here, our community, and to the ends of the earth. And that leads us to this week, we're going to talk about this. So to become more like Jesus by the end of 2025, that's our goal, we will grow leaders, grow leaders. I don't know about you, but I remember when I was a young man, when I was around 10 or 11 years old, I didn't love coming to the adult services of my church. I don't know if any of you had that experience. It wasn't that there was anything wrong with it. It was fantastic for adults. Now, all of your kids think what's happening here is absolutely amazing, right? My littlest one, who is seven years old, is like, but dad, it's so boring. I'm like, what? Your dad's awesome. What are you talking about? He also was like, dad, can you say hi to us again from the stage? No. So (laughs) when I was around 10 or 11 years old, I, uh, my sister was volunteering in the preschool ministry at the church I grew up in. And so to me, this was a grandiose idea. Like I could go to our little class that we had at the church at the time, and then I could go serve and I could skip the adult service. And so I started serving and what I had no idea is what God had to store for me. There was a lady there who, what's amazing is she still serves in that ministry. I'm not exactly sure if she does to this day, but a few years ago, I took my kids back. We were on vacation and we went and visited the church I grew up in. And she was still leading the preschool ministry. And we took, I went in with my two oldest kids and I sat there and her voice was shaky and her hand was shaky because she was much older now than a couple years ago when I was in the ministry. 
And it was just amazing to see this woman. And she poured into me. I started around 10 or 11 years old and I served all the way until I was 18 years old. And she taught me songs I never thought I'd sing. And she equipped me. I'll never forget the first day she asked me to teach the lesson. I thought, I can't teach the lesson. But she poured her life into me. And every time I see her, every time I go back and visit, it happens to be on a Sunday, she pulls me aside. Oh, how's your family? How's the church going? She loves you guys from a distance. And I just think this woman has figured it out. She has been pouring her life out over and over and over again for years after years. And some of the kids that I poured my life into, they were in preschool. Today, they are serving and leading in churches all across the United States. And that's just the way that it goes. Years ago, I saw this uh, analogy, illustration from Andy Stanley. And I've used it a few times with you guys. So forgive me, there's nothing new under the sun. And the older I get, the more I repeat myself. So there we go. So if this represents you and this cup represents, say, somebody else, the question is always, who are you pouring your life into? This is what Miss Jean did for me for years. She didn't teach me everything I was ever going to know. She did teach me what I needed to know next that she knew. Do you get the difference? Throughout my life, I have been blessed with so many godly men and women who are just wise in various ways, wise in different areas. And God will always, as always, here's how it works in my life. I don't know about you. I have found that there are two great teachers in life, pain and mentors, and they often go together. So God will allow me to experience pain in my life in some way or another, usually through something I shouldn't have done that I did anyway. And that pain causes me to get hungry to grow. And then as I grow, I'm looking for someone who can help mentor me or teach me or give me what this thing. I, mean, I got to figure this out. I don't know how to do it. And then God will bring somebody in my life and they'll just say, well, I know how to help with that. Here you go. And God has done that faithfully in my life for at least 44 years. That's how old I am. I'll be 45 this year. I always wanted to get to 45. I don't know when I get to go backwards, but anyway. Pain is a great teacher. Mentors are even better. And this is so consistent in the scriptures that I can promise you this. Whoever that person was in your life that poured themselves into you, you wouldn't be sitting here today if it weren't for them. Was it a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a neighbor? Who is it that led you or has poured their life into you to get you to where you are today? I'm gonna tell you a story in the Bible. We're gonna track one character. And in case you don't know the Bible story, his name was Saul, and he later changed his name to Paul. Now, Saul means something like big. Paul means something like little. And we think the reason he changed his name is because before he met Jesus, he thought he was big stuff. And then after he met Jesus, he wanted everybody else to know that his life meant nothing if not to point to Jesus, who was bigger and better than him. Now, Saul in the book of Acts, he's uh, persecuting the church early Christians. In fact, there's a guy named Stephen who early, uh, the, the, some early people grabbed Stephen He's one of the early church leaders and they throw stones at him until he's dead. Then they take his clothes and they lay them at Saul's feet. And we think this means that Saul's like the ringleader of the whole thing and they're getting his approval over what just happened. Now Saul goes and gets some laws passed to have more Christians arrested and thrown in prison. And on his way to a town called Damascus to fulfill that law that he just had enacted, Jesus shines down a light from heaven and starts to speak to Saul. And he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul's blown away. He doesn't know what to think. 
Literally, something like scales cover over his eyes, and he's now blind, and they have to lead him into Damascus. And he's sitting there, and God leads another man to come and share the gospel with him. And Saul gets up, and he gets baptized, and scales fall from his eyes. And it is this powerful moment. But what God did was first bring another believer into Saul's life to speak the truth, to lead him into baptism. Now, what happens next is Saul all of a sudden starts to go, I've been wrong all along. Like here I was persecuting Jesus, thinking that Jesus was a fake, he was a false, he was a liar, but now I know he's real, now what? So Saul, sorry, I may use the names interchangeably, Saul starts to proclaim the gospel, but nobody trusts him. Notice what happens. This is in Acts chapter nine, verse 26 and 27. It says this. When he, that's Saul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him not believing that he really was a disciple. They think it's a trick, right? This is just part of Saul's plan to get more of us arrested or more of us killed. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Go back to the other slide for a second. Do you have a Barnabas in your life? I think about it. Saul is a new believer. His life has been completely opposed to God. But Barnabas, instead of seeing that as the end of Saul's story, instead comes alongside him to vouch for him. And sometimes that's what we need the most. I mean, come on. Have you ever been through a hard season? You ever gone through something painful? And all of a sudden you're starting to change, but nobody trusts you. Nobody believes you. And then somebody else with credibility comes alongside you, starts pouring their life into you, and all of a sudden, everybody else goes, maybe, maybe I was wrong about that guy. Maybe that person isn't quite the same person I used to see. There's a process that comes in being transformed into Jesus Christ, right? There's a process as we become more and more like him. There's a process there. In fact, one famous uh, theologian, I think it was Eugene Peterson, once said, transformation is best described as a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. And this is what Barnabas is trying to do. Come alongside Saul and say, I'm gonna pour into you what God has poured in me to continue to grow your heart and grow your faith. So, I ask you a question. Who is growing you? Do you have somebody? Can you name a man or a woman that God's brought into your life that is growing you and challenging you and pouring their lives into you? If you don't have that, man, you are missing out on the church. You are missing out on what God could do in you if you would open yourself up. There's a lady in our church. I love her. She's a dear lady. Her name is Deb Wisson. And if you don't know Deb, you are missing out. Deb grew up the daughter of a pastor. She'd learned a lot of things about God, about faith. She has served in our church in many ways, playing piano and doing a lot of different things. But at one point, Deb's marriage didn't make it. Deb ended up in a divorce. Now, I just talked to Deb this weekend. I have a testimony I'll read from her in just a minute. But I had to talk with her. Deb and I could say emphatically together this. God hates divorce. He hates divorce, but he loves people. And we hold those two truths together. Fighting for marriage is not to end, but trying to pick up the broken pieces when it does. When Deb's marriage ended, she came to Kingsway and found a place 
that would take her where she is and help put the pieces back together. And I wanna share her story with you right now. She says this, after personally going through an unexpected divorce, God faithfully healed me, or so I thought. I was trying to help someone who was going through a divorce and felt that maybe if I attended the divorce care class at Kingsway, I could help them through their difficult time. While going through the classes, I discovered things I hadn't dealt with but had stuffed deep down. After completing the classes, I learned the facilitator was wanting to take a break after doing it for several years. So I volunteered to take her place and it soon became my passion. God showed me there were so many people like me that needed to heal and needed help through this very difficult time. As the classes progressed, people experienced healing and were able to move on with a new life and purpose. I felt God leading me to ask some of them if they would pray about the possibility of leading the class, reaching out and giving back. They were excited to help out and felt they were ready to lead. I was there to help direct them and mentor them as needed, and it wasn't long before they could run with it. And then she has this great quote. She says this, these wonderful men and women that were loved, mentored, and guided are now giving back. They walked alongside others and helped them heal and grow and when ready to actually help others. Because of this, we now have divorce care, divorce care for kids, boundaries, beyond boundaries, single and parenting, surviving the holidays, which I think everybody ought to take, and blended families. Here's what's really cool. So I don't know if you know this, if you're newer, say, to the Hendricks County area, there's a ministry in the Danville area, it's called Sheltering Wings. And Sheltering Wings comes alongside women and men who are in abusive relationships and situations, and they gotta get out of the house. And uh, we've partnered with Sheltering Wings for a number of years. Well, she says this, we've been a part of a ministry at Sheltering Wings with our single and parenting class, and we're able to reach even more ladies, share the gospel, and touch hearts. These classes would not be possible without individuals stepping out of their comfort zone and being willing to reach out to others in need. When you aren't afraid to let God use you, let him show you his plan, wonderful things can happen, whether it's a class or a coworker or even a friend. God changes lives and can use each one of us to do it. I'm so thankful for each person not afraid to give back to God for all he has done I never have to wonder where God is leading next. I just seek him and then I join him. Just as all of these amazing leaders God has raised up are now reaching others to forward his kingdom. While I was leading and growing with the classes, I was being ministered to through Kingsway Stevens ministry. I thank God every day for leaders and pastors that love and encourage and continue to reach out and pour in others. People like former staff members, John Knoll or Jeff Shields, or this amazing man in our church, if you haven't met him, Steve Warren, or this really great guy, Matt Nickison, her words. I, I may have added the great guy part, I, I don't know. And even more recently, our, one of our newer staff members, Lyndon Fall. She says, Matt, and I'm pretty sure she means me, but she says, Matt told me once when I was feeling overwhelmed, Deb, God's got this. I'll never forget those words, and I continue to use them. God's got this, and so much more. Here's what happens to most of us. Most of us look at the gap between where we are and where we need to grow. We think to ourselves, I just, I don't know enough. I don't have enough experiences. I don't have enough wisdom. Uh, What if I run into a question I don't know how to answer? Then what? What if I fail the person? What if the situation gets worse and Satan wins? Because we continue to see what we aren't instead of what we are. And we mistakenly believe our job was to fill their cup. That was never our job. 
Our job was never to be all things for everybody. Our job was only to give away what God has so graciously given to us. One young man that I've had the opportunity to spend some extra time with a mentor over the last couple of years, he came up to me after the last service. He gave me a hug. He had tears in his eyes. He goes, when you said that, that was me. He goes, I, I plugged into serving really quickly at Kingsway, but I feel like God may be calling me to more, and I don't know what it is, but the fear of what I don't know is keeping me from reaching out. Pressure's off, my man. Just listen to God and do what's next. Because there's a false belief in our society today that in order to be a leader, you have to be great, or you have to know everything, or you have to be the best of the best. Do you know what a leader is at the end of the day? A leader is a person with influence. If you are a parent in this room, you are a leader. All the studies back this up, and they have for decades. You have more influence over your kids than everything else. I know, I know. It may seem crazy, like, my kids never listen to me. They argue with me about everything. I don't feel like I'm influencing anything. It's a lie, right? The truth is, you have profound influence. You have more influence than the TV shows they watch. You have more influence than their teachers. You have more influence than their friends. The question is usually not do you, but are you leveraging that influence for good? Because leadership is influence. You don't have to own a company to have leverage through influence at the company. You could be a great encourager, supporter. You could be a task person. You could be a, a coordinator of, of getting things done in projects. You don't have to own. You have to sit in the highest chair in order to lead others because we lead by leveraging the influence, the wisdom, the grace that God has given us and just pouring it out at others over and over and over again. Grandparents, just because your kids become adults doesn't mean you've lost your influence. You might need to skip a generation and go to your grandchildren, but you've not lost your influence. The question is, what are you doing with what God has given you? Notice what happens next in the story. So the gospel starts to move. It, it, Jesus told the disciples, I want you to go into Jerusalem and then Judea and to the ends of the earth. Well, everybody was all excited. Just read your Bible sometimes. It's fascinating. Read like chapters two through five. The disciples, they're all coming to faith. Everybody's just like loving this new Christian faith that's developing in the church. So everybody's just hanging out all the time and they're sharing the resources and it's just a great place to be. But Jesus told them to get out of here. Go be missionaries to the ends of the earth. And they didn't. So as Saul and others increased the persecution, what happened as a byproduct is the church started spreading out. Christians started leaving Jerusalem, running for their lives. And one of the towns that they ran to is a little town called Antioch. And Antioch, if you look on a map, is kind of like the next area out. And when they end up in Antioch, Antioch becomes the greatest missionary launching pad of the early church, even better than Jerusalem. Jerusalem, in some ways, was almost accidental. Antioch was highly intentional. But when it first started, the gospel went to Antioch. It just started to spread and to grow. All of a sudden, a guy named Barnabas shows up there. And he's like, oh, I need backup. I need somebody who could come with me and can do this alongside of me, and I can pour my life into them. Take a look. Acts chapter 11, verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were, were called Christians first at Antioch. Little Bible history for you 101. This is when we first started being called Christians. They were called the followers of the way and some other things before that, but this is where they were first called Christians, and I don't know if you know this or not, it stuck. And so now, 
For the last couple thousand years, we've been called Christians, those of us who follow after Jesus. But I love this, because what Barnabas did is he saw a task in front of him, he knew it needed somebody else, and he went and grabbed a young guy named Saul and said, that guy's coming with me. That guy I'm gonna pour my life into, and what's really fascinating, go read the book of Acts. At the beginning of their relationship, at the beginning of their ministry, every time these two come up, Barnabas is mentioned first, and then Saul. Now, scholars think there's a reason. They think that it's because Barnabas was more important until there comes a critical moment, and it's actually shortly after this, where it switches. And every time the two of them are mentioned, Saul is mentioned first. Actually, his name is Paul at that point. He's mentioned before Barnabas, except for one chapter. And that one chapter, these two end up in a town, and the people think that they're actually some of the Greek gods. They think Barnabas is Zeus, and they think Paul is Hermes, I believe it is. And since Zeus is like the bigger, more important god of the Greco-Roman world, they mentioned Barnabas first in that chapter because the people thought he was more important. But from there on before it and from there on after it, every time they're mentioned, Paul is mentioned first. And I think that's a powerful thing to do because every great leader knows you're gonna pour yourself into somebody else. And if you do your job right, they're gonna surpass you. They're gonna know more than you eventually. Jesus even said this. The, the goal is for you to do greater things than me, he says. Well, how's that possible? Well, it's because it'll be Jesus inside you. See, what should set Christians apart, say, from the rest of the world, and I'm not saying nobody in the world does this, but what should set us apart is there's no ego involved. It's not about money. It's not about name. It's not about greatness. It's not about me. It's about Jesus becoming greater and me becoming less. So I'll gladly give you everything that I got. It won't be everything you need. That's God's job to bring you somebody else. But I'll give you everything I got so that you can go further faster than I ever went. And if each generation does that with the next generation and the next generation, the next generation, can you imagine what the church could be a couple thousand years from now? I mean, right now, the church is filled with a couple billion people today and it started with roughly 120 people when Jesus died. That's pretty fantastic, but there's more to do. In fact, there's a guy in our church, I don't know if you know him, but his name is James Hall. And James Hall uh, has been mentored by Deb. And here's his testimony. He says this, my name is James. I was married for 13 years to a woman whom I truly loved and tried everything that I could to make my marriage work. Unfortunately, we divorced. This tore apart my heart, my life, my spirit, it was like a bomb going off, and all I could do was try to survive for my son's sake. I found Kingsway from the Divorce Care website. I was still completely wrecked by the divorce and was truly in a state of brokenness. I joined the Divorce Care class and Single and Parenting class to help me move forward with my life. The leader showed me compassion, love, and real concern like I had never felt before. They stood by me, cried with me, and prayed with me. You could literally feel the love and compassion of God coming through these leaders. Over time, and after a lot of healing, Debbie asked me if I would be willing to help others who have been through similar situations. She asked me to live the motto of our church by giving back to those who desperately need help. To become a leader that would show compassion and stand with others during the absolute worst times of their lives. God healed my heart, soul, and spirit so I could show others the same compassion shown to me. I cannot help everyone, but by the grace of God and a very humbled heart, I can volunteer my time, compassion, and love to help those who are in front of me, even if only one person at a time. God has blessed me by allowing me to become a member at Kingsway. 
Just as I was transformed from these classes, others have been transformed as well. And then he said, and I love this quote, check this out. Some of the people who went through the classes I facilitated are now volunteering to help in other ministries within our church. You know what I love? My favorite part of this whole quote. There's so much I love in here, but it's this part. Notice he didn't say Kingsway. Notice he didn't say your church. What does he say? Our church. It's his. He's one of us. He's part of us. He embraces the fact that we're a family. And he's saying, look, the people that I've been pouring my life into are now pouring their life on other people within this community. He goes on and he just says, I just want you to wrap your head around this. Here's a guy who's coming from a very painful, difficult situation. And he says, I have been blessed now to help lead the divorce care class, single and parenting class for those who are learning to parent by themselves, the boundaries and beyond boundaries class. This is teaching others to set boundaries and protect themselves from unsafe people. The safe people class, which teaches people how to determine if someone is safe or unsafe in relationships. And the surviving holidays class, which is learning to deal with the holidays in the midst of having lost loved ones. And again, I think we all ought to probably take that class. And he said, as only God can do, he's used the bad circumstances and brokenness of my life for good. And he transformed me into a person that could demonstrate God's love to other people. Can we just stop and praise God for Deb and James for a minute? Isn't that awesome? Man, I love it. Love it. So here's a good question. Not only who's growing you, but who are you growing? I often say, as we're looking to develop our digital ministry and create more opportunities for me to just teach the things that God's taught me, I often say to our staff, especially to Danielle, who does a fantastic job with our digital ministry, I just find myself saying, I feel like spoiled. I have had so many world-class leaders that you've never met. They didn't write books. They aren't world famous. They aren't leading churches of you know, 30 or 40,000. You don't know their names, but they are world-class leaders and God has brought them into my life and he's allowed them to pour out their wisdom into me and I'm going, man, how can I give this gift to other people? And so we're constantly wrestling with, what would that look like? Would it be a series or a podcast or a digital something or a book or like, I just don't want what God has given to others and others have given to me. I don't want it to go to waste. I don't want to bottle it up and bury it in the ground. I want to just, I don't know everything there is to know about everything. Again, as I said earlier, oftentimes it's the pain in my life that re requires me, forces me to reach out and say, help, <laughs> somebody who knows something, help. I don't know what to do here. Just recently, I was talking to a great man in our church. If I had said his name, many of you would know it. And he said, you know what I need? I just, I need an older spiritual mentor. And I said, and I, I wish, I wish more godly men would step up. I do. In fact, last service, I was talking to some older, they called themselves, I'm not joking, I was standing in a group with about four or five of them, and they, they called themselves the old farts of the church. That was their phrase, not mine. So if that offends you, I apologize. <laughs> and God is stirring in their hearts, and they're going, maybe it's my time. Maybe it's my time. Well, I said to this man that I know, we're, we're close in age, I'm a little bit older than him. I said, look, don't make it about a number. Don't make it about an age. Make it about who has the next piece of wisdom that you need? Because arrogance or pride might say, oh, I need somebody who's 10 years older because that's somebody I can listen to. But that's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures say, wherever you are, you might have something to offer someone else. In fact, this is exactly what happens in the scriptures. Saul, whose name changes to Paul. I don't know if you know this or not. Sometimes Christians fight. I don't know if you've heard about that before. 
Well, Paul and Barnabas have a falling out and God uses it. Barnabas goes on and takes his cousin, John Mark, and mentors him and now pours his life into John Mark the way he did to Paul. Paul goes on and takes a new guy named Silas and they're gonna go check on the churches they've been to and launch some new churches. And they come to an area and they ask the leaders there, who do you got? Who is sharp among you? And they say, ooh, 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 we got this young guy. His name is Timothy. Let me just show you that text real quick. This is in Acts now. Uh, I gotta find my text. There it is, Acts chapter 16, verse one. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived. His mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. I'll get to that in a second. The believer at Lystra, sorry, the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Again, I love the way the Bible says, like things that I say in an hour, it says it in like two sentences. And you're like, why can't you be more like that? I don't want to talk about it. Anyway, so what we find powerful here is this. Notice this. His mother and even actually his grandmother, we learned from other texts, are godly women. They'd love Jesus. They'd come to know him and believe in him. And they have a strong Hebrew background. But his father is a Greek. Probably the reason it says that, and some other things we'll look at later, he probably doesn't have a great relationship with dad. His dad is not his spiritual mentor. His dad is not the one pouring into him to grow his faith in God and in Jesus Christ. He probably believes in the pantheon of Greco-Roman gods. But he's been following his mama's and his grandmother's example. And he's growing in his faith. And the church is like, hey, this young guy, he's got it. Well, look at the next verse. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. The Hebrew people, and some other random cultures throughout history, but primarily the Hebrew people were the ones who were circumcised. And Paul wants to take this young guy, but he's not circumcised. So why is that a big deal? Well, it's because Paul's gonna go to places where there are Jewish converts. And to them, if you aren't circumcised, because it was a sign that you had a right relationship with God, then you aren't gonna have credibility. And so Paul has to do this to Timothy. Now, he's not eight days old. He's not 11 days old. He's not 11 years old. We don't know how old he is, but he's probably at least in his 20s. So if you haven't taken our membership class yet, <laughs> week three, I'm just kidding. This will not come up. If you read the book of Acts especially, the early church quickly recognizes that this is no longer needed. This was a Hebrew thing and it's no longer needed in Jesus Christ. It's not a sign of anything anymore. So then why does Timothy do it? Well, this is important. It's because Timothy knows that if he wants to reach the people that he and Paul are going after, then he has to do whatever is necessary to reach them. And he was more than willing. Whatever it takes. That's the kind of faithfulness that God is looking for in all of us. And what I find powerful is that Paul takes him and pours into him. Notice it says again, his father was a Greek. It's stressing something here, and there's a reason. What is that reason? Well, later, Paul plants a church in an area called Macedonia. And Macedonia had a number of churches like Philippi, it's where we get the book of Philippians. In Ephesus is where we get the book of Ephesians, and Colossae is where we get the book of Colossians. And what would happen is Paul would go in, and depending on how the church was doing, dictated how long he stayed. He might stay six months, he might stay two years. But when he felt like the church had some leadership in place, he would leave and go plant the next church. And guess what he left behind? Elders and leaders, people that Paul had poured his life into, all the while he's mentoring Timothy. 
Well, the church in Ephesus becomes one of the major hubs for what God is doing in the ancient world. In fact, a guy named John, one of the disciples, even Jesus's mother, Mary, spends significant time in the church of Ephesus. But the church in Ephesus is going through some stuff. So God sent, God, Paul sends Timothy to Ephesus and he's like, you go lead them. I'm gonna keep going and doing what God told me to do. You go. Now, did Timothy know everything he needed to know? Uh Uh-uh. How do I know? Because we have two books in the Bible called 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy that are Paul's way of saying, all right, Timothy, now I know what you're dealing with. Here's how you handle it. Now, I want you to think, this is not like today where I could just grab my iPad or grab my cell phone and be like, hey, Paul, I don't know how to handle this one. If Timothy wants to communicate with Paul, he's got to find out what city he's in. He's got to find a messenger, write a letter, give it to the messenger. The messenger has to travel who knows how many weeks or months, find Paul, sit down with Paul, give him the message. Paul's got to sit down, find somebody to write a letter for him. Paul dictates the letter to the person. The person writes out the letter. Then they give it back to a person. You got to wait for a ship to come into port, give it to the person, and they go give it to Timothy. And that's the process. This could take weeks or months or who knows how long. In the meantime, Timothy is dealing with some pain in the church. He doesn't know what to do. And one of the first things Paul says to Timothy is, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Don't let your age or your experience or the perception of how much wisdom you have, don't let that stand in the way. But set an example for the believers in faith and life and love and purity. Let your life be such a powerful example to the local body that even when they look at you and go, what does this young pup know? They know there's something about you they have to respect. My last pastor, I love to death, but I get to talk to him every once in a while. I went to that church. I literally turned 23 on my honeymoon, and then a week later, I started at that job. And boy, did they get a really young and immature guy. And aren't you glad you got the mature, awesome guy who never makes mistakes? Aren't you so? Some of you are like, yes, yeah, you don't know me real well. I meet my last pastor, and this, we just had this conversation a couple months ago. That's why I can joke about it. And in that conversation, he's reminding me again of some of the really silly, dumb, young guy things that I did at my last church. He hasn't seen me here for the 11 and a half years. He doesn't know how awesome I am today. I'm joking, okay? I'm joking. So if you don't know me, I'm really not being arrogant. I'm trying to be funny because the truth is I made a lot of young guy mistakes. I made young guy mistakes when I came here at 32, 10 years later. But what I do know is this. It's hard to sometimes look past somebody's youth. It is, isn't it? But when somebody loves you and they're committed to you, they see that God is pouring into you and they go, you know what? You're not yet who God wants you to be, but I see this trajectory in you. I see something in you that you don't yet see in yourself. We need more of that in the church today. In those two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, First and Second Timothy, I want you to see the way both of them start, and I want you to look for a key phrase in there. Ready? First Timothy chapter one, verse two. Paul says, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Second Timothy chapter two, verse one and two. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. What's the operative phrase? Did you see it? My son. Paul became for Timothy a spiritual father. 
Again, those two texts in Acts tell us there's something about his dad being a Greek. He doesn't have the ability to pour into Timothy. So Paul became that. Now, if you really wanna be blown away, this is a little extra for your time today, right? In a culture where the Hebrews and the Christians, early Christians, so valued marriage and being a parent that if you were single or especially something called a eunuch and you did not have kids or were not able to have kids, you could be looked down upon, especially in that culture, Roman and even Hebrew, you could be shunned. Paul is single and no kids. And yet God gave him a son. How good is the faithfulness of God that the fact that he didn't have any biological children did not prevent him from having a son. And what I find most fascinating about this verse right here, and I forgot to say this last service, so you get a little bit extra, is notice what he says. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard me say, I poured my life into you, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people. You pour them into somebody else so that they'll be qualified to teach others. Timothy, I didn't get this gift to keep it to myself. I got this gift to give it to you so you could give it to somebody else, so that they could give it to somebody else, so that they could give it to somebody else. And not a single one of us would be here today if that hadn't happened for the last 2,000 years. Please, God, don't let it stop with us. That's why we will be a church that grows leaders. In fact, here's our phrase for you. We will be known as a place where leaders are developed. In fact, over 250 leaders will be aligned for impact through training, ministry opportunities, residencies, and internships. You may not have noticed this, but we've already been practicing it. Some of the people you've seen on stage here over the last couple months, there are people that we are building relationships with and intentionally trying to do internships and the like with and say, you know what? We see something special in you and we're gonna give you the opportunity to grow in that as we teach you and mentor you here. You're gonna see guys like Andy and Brett preaching more and more and more over the next few years. It's not because I wanna retire at 44. It's not because I don't love preaching, but the only way you get better at doing this is to do it. And so we're gonna allow them and we're gonna train them and we're gonna pour into them and we're gonna keep giving them the opportunity and we're gonna celebrate with them. And if they get up here and lay an egg, don't be surprised. I've done it many times too. It's part of the process of getting better and we wanna be that kind of church. That's why we've also said, not only about what we're doing here, but in everyday life, we will be released to go lead groups, run businesses and drive organizations to bring the hope of Jesus into our everyday lives. It doesn't do any good if you come here and only pour your life out. You've got people in your sphere of influence through your soccer programs and basketball programs and workplace and school environments where God is calling you to love in his name. And lastly, we will help identify each other's unique wiring and spiritual gifts to impact our church, workplace, and community. It's so hard to live this, but so important. What if... What if the group that you're connected to right now, God was calling some of you in that group to find a new place to pour yourself out? It won't be true for everybody. I know exactly what this feels like. I've been in a group for the last three years and uh, there's like four of us pastors and we committed together. We called it covenating together. We literally signed some papers saying we commit to each other. We talk every month on the phone. We meet twice a year. We go out of here and we go like to Colorado. I know it's a tough life. Or we go to Tennessee or we go somewhere together. We just pour into each other. We pray for each other. We challenge each other. And that relationship came to an end two months ago. This past week, 
I got to go to lunch with the guy who was leading the group, a pastor here in India. And uh, we're sitting at lunch together and he has to finish lunch to go and take a phone call with this new group. <gasps> How dare he? I felt cheated on. What is wrong with you? Truth is, I'm recruiting for a new group that I'm gonna launch in January of next year. I've got two pastors committed and I'm trying to create some lunches with some other guys to say, I think this would be really good for you if you would allow me to now lead. Because honestly, it's hard. I'm missing those monthly phone calls. I'm missing that on my calendar is a retreat for me to have some guys pouring into me, but I know that God's gonna do great things through them where they're going, and I know God has a new opportunity before me. I'm not saying it's easy. Yeah, I grieve it at times, but I also know those guys are still available. We still text each other. If I need anything, they would drop something to take my phone call because they still love me, but this is the way that gospel was meant to work. Now, let me tell you one way over the next year that we want to come alongside this community. It's something called the Global Leadership Summit. The Global Leadership Summit is a worldwide leadership training. It's so good. And uh, we were blessed by Journey Church. Tim Parsons, a friend of mine who was taking it, he said, man, I would love for Kingsway to go ahead and take this, take it to the next level. We'd love to see a few hundred people come to this, August 5th and 6th. If you're a member of Kingsway, you will get a discounted price. So if you're not a member today, it's not too late to jump into our membership classes. Just remember that whole circumcised thing. But um, we really, I'm just kidding. I get my own way sometimes. Just, if you want to get the member price, you're gonna have to sign up. You don't have to own your company. You could just be somebody who, you know, is an employee of your company, but maybe consider bringing a friend. And what would it look like if you were to go online and find out one of the speakers who were gonna be at the summit this year and say, you know what? I'm gonna start a group based off that book and start it right after that. Imagine if you were to take that book, read it before the conference, that speaker gets up to speak, and then you have five or six people from your workplace, and you guys are just talking about how does that book impact our daily lives? What would it look like to just pour your life out a little bit? All right, I'm gonna close with this. And I know I say this every week, but it's so critical. There's been a lot of things I've talked about today. I've talked about Paul getting baptized. Maybe you've never taken that first step of faith. I've talked about divorce care and single parenting. Maybe you're hurting and you had no idea we had those ministries. I've talked about groups and the need to lead in groups. We're always needing volunteers in our kids' ministry and student ministry. Wherever you are, if God's stirring in your heart, here's my only ask. Please don't leave with doing nothing. Don't just be hearers of the word, but doers. If that's you, just text CONNECT on your phone, on your iPad right now to 317-565-4911. If you're on social media right now and you're watching, just put CONNECT in the chat line. We actually had somebody do this last service and our team is already online watching. It's like, okay, and they've already reached out to that person. I don't know what God wants to do with this, but I know he's doing something. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for laughter and thank you for Bible passages and thank you for conferences and thank you for Deb and for James and for their testimony and willingness to share. God, I pray right now that you would um, stir in our hearts and reveal to us what you wanna do and how you wanna do it. God, I pray right now for all of our volunteers and kids of student ministry, God, they're pouring out their lives into the next generation. Would you encourage them today? God, I pray for all of our life group leaders of all ages, of all ministries, God, I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that somebody in the group even this week would raise up and say, it's me, it's me. God's telling me I need to transition out of this group and go lead another one. God, I pray for all of our ministries like divorce care, God, and, and, and all of the ministries that we have. I pray that you would help us to find people in our church and in our community who need that love and support and to come alongside them, raise up more leaders, God. But Lord, right now there's somebody sitting in here, somebody watching online, and they don't think they're worthy. They don't think they know enough. God, I pray right now through the power of the Holy Spirit, you reach down from heaven and touch their heart and whisper to them, 
that they are enough because of who you are in them. We love you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said.